I knew a man that I did not care for. And then one day, this man gave me a call. We sat and talked about things on our minds. And now this man, he is a friend of mine. If you are over 45, like I am, you might recognize those words as some of the lyrics to a very popular song from the 1960s, Reach Out in the Darkness. Reach out in the darkness. Yeah, I could have sung it for you, but I did spare you that torture. Anyway, I thought of those lyrics in preparation for this homily because they are the words of a man who has obviously changed his mind. In this case, what the man did was a good thing, since it led to the healing of a relationship, a bad relationship he had with another human being. But the act of changing one's mind is morally neutral in and of itself. That's important for us to understand. In other words, the act can be either morally good or morally evil. It all depends on what you are changing your mind about. That's the key. Today's Gospel parable of the man with two sons provides us with a perfect illustration of this truth. Notice that both boys in this story changed their minds. The first initially refused to go work in his father's vineyard, but then he changed his mind and went. The second initially said, yeah, Dad, I'm with you, on my way, but he never went. In the first instance, the son's act of changing his mind was good, because in doing so, he ended up honoring his father by his obedience. In the second instance, the son's act of changing his mind was bad, morally evil, because in doing so, he was refusing to obey the fourth commandment. As we heard a few moments ago, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, used this story 2,000 years ago to challenge and to reprimand the chief priests and elders of the people who did not like John the Baptist. In fact, maybe that's not strong enough. Many of them, I think, couldn't stand John the Baptist. And they refused to change their minds about him even after they saw all the great things John did and how many people were converting because of his preaching and teaching and ministry. Even prostitutes and tax collectors were converting, but it didn't matter. The chief priests and the elders refused to change their minds when they should have changed their minds because of pride. And also, probably, because of fear. They feared that if they did change their minds about John and did accept him and honor him as a prophet, they'd lose some of their clouts. And they were probably right. The people would not have listened to them as much. Which only proves that human nature hasn't changed much in 2,000 years. 
as was the case at the time of Jesus. People sometimes refuse to change their minds when they should change their minds, while others do change their minds when they should not. Concerning the latter, do you know what former President Bill Clinton, former Vice President Al Gore, Ted Kennedy, Jesse Jackson, and Richard Gephardt all have in common? The answer is, they all changed their minds on the abortion issue when they should not have. Many people are not aware of the fact that all those politicians I just mentioned were once pro-life. But not anymore. They changed their minds in the wrong way for material gain and to increase their popularity. Unfortunately, those are very common reasons why people change their minds when they shouldn't. And by the way, when we pray for those men and people like them, and we should, we should pray for them sincerely as Catholics. When we do pray and intercede on their behalf, we should pray specifically that they change their minds one more time in the opposite direction. Some change their minds when they shouldn't, as I said, for material gain, for money, to increase their popularity, to get votes. Others change their minds when they shouldn't out of fear. The fear of punishment, for example. You'll recall that this is precisely why Simon Peter, who would become our first pope, changed his mind about his Savior on the night before our Lord died in the courtyard of the high priest. He was afraid of being hurt or maybe even killed. Or it can be something as simple as laziness. In fact, that's probably why the second son in this parable changed his mind and never went to his father's vineyard. He just didn't feel like working that day. Right, young people? Sometimes your parents say, Go clean your room. Sure, Dad. Right away. And it never happens. But thankfully, it does work sometimes in the opposite direction. Like that first son, many people do change their minds and end up doing what's right, even though they might be tempted to do otherwise. In this regard, a couple of weeks ago, I found a great article online. I believe it was on EWTN's website. It was written by a man named William May, Dr. William May. And in this article, the good doctor defended the church's teaching regarding artificial contraception. Dr. William May is a well-known theologian who also happens to be a married man with children, and at this point in his life, grandchildren as well. He is not a celibate priest. But the interesting thing is, 40 years ago, in 1968 to be exact, Dr. William May was on the opposite side of this issue. 
And I mention him today because he was quite vocal about it. 1968, you'll recall, was the year that Pope Paul VI issued his famous encyclical Humanae Vitae, in which he restated, reaffirmed, reiterated the Church's traditional teaching on this subject, much to the chagrin of many Catholics, including theologians like young Dr. William May. In fact, May was one of the more than 600 professors university professors from all over the place at Catholic schools who signed the infamous Statement of Dissent as soon as the encyclical came out. In fact, I think some of them hadn't even read it yet, but they signed it. We disagree with the Pope. The Pope is wrong. William May was one of the Holy Father's biggest critics. You probably saw him if you were alive at the time on the evening news, I'm sure. It wasn't CNN back then, but there was ABC, NBC, and CBS, and I'll bet they got him on their microphones. He was an intelligent man, he is an intelligent man, and he was saying what they wanted him to say. I disagree. He later changed his mind. And now William May writes books, defending and explaining the truth on this and many other moral issues. As he later said, and here I quote him directly, I was beginning to see that if contraception is justifiable, then perhaps artificial insemination, test tube reproduction, and similar modes of generating life outside the marital embrace are morally justifiable too. I began to realize that the moral theology invented to justify contraception could be used to justify any kind of deed. I saw that it was a consequentialist, utilitarian kind of argument, that it was a theory which repudiated the notion of intrinsically evil acts. I began to realize how truly prophetic the Pope had been, and how providential it was that he had been given the strength to resist the tremendous pressures brought to bear upon him. Dr. May could have added pressures brought to bear on him by people like me. It was good for Dr. May to change his mind. It was good for the first son in this parable to change his mind. And sometimes, my brothers and sisters, it is good for each and every one of us to change our mind. May the Holy Spirit help us to know when those times are. And may that same Holy Spirit give us the courage we need to actually do it.